So by now, I hope you've heard the good news. The latest edition of Mindful Landlord, so Mindful Landlord 2nd Edition, is out. And, you know, I wanted to just let you know why I wrote this book a little bit. And part of it is that I feel like there are some ideas in terms of how you optimize mental performance that really help people or they anyway they've helped me on my real estate journey and part of what i wanted to do with the book is to really share some of the methodology behind optimizing your mind to be successful in real estate and then of course a more down-to-earth approach of how to run rental property for profit and peace of mind not to fall into the trap of more doors more dollars more deals so if you want to check out the book, this is really the best thing and the closest way you can have to having Terry in your corner when you make your real estate decisions. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here this week with Sam Liebman. Sam's joining us from Long Island, New York. We're going to hear from his accent very shortly. <laughs> so, uh, Sam, uh, thanks for joining us. What accent? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to it. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about how you came to do what you do. Well, I was a um, kid from the streets of Canasi, Brooklyn. And you learn a lot of street smarts, it's, you know, in that day. I call it the mafia minor leagues because it seemed like everybody's father was connected. And by playing stickball, by doing other things, you got to learn how to use your spider sense when it tingles and you learn. Then I went to school. I was a C student until I got into college. And I had a tremendous, uh, I don't know, uh, epiphany with a teacher I had that really inspired me, Professor David Miners. Took him for about four or five classes. And that's why I always say in college, I majored in minors. And he taught me a way of, of he, his teaching method was to dictate notes with an example. And that enabled me to, to really understand these difficult accounting concepts. And you had subliminal reinforcement and I just motivated me to keep going. Worked for accounting firms for a while, represented a lot of developers and um, property owners. And I decided that I didn't want to be everybody's scorekeeper because an accountant, they were making a fortune and I was keeping score. And I said, I could do this. And I basically then, you know, through the accounting and through uh, interfacing with all these developers, brokers, et cetera, I went and I partnered with some of my friends to start buying some buildings. And then we just kept learning, kept going up. I did become um, chief financial officer of Mountain Development Corp, which I got what I call my Harvard education, where we started, a, a Bob Lieb, a very prominent attorney, started a company with myself, a secretary and himself. And three years later, we had over 20 million square feet of office buildings in five different states. And I learned a lot. And then I left that to partner up with a college friend of mine, Neil Tepper, who I'm still partners with. And then we went on to real estate and the rest is, I don't know, I don't want to say history, but <laughs> we've done very well. And now at my age, you know, 66, and I want to give back. I want to teach people how to build lasting wealth for themselves and their families. And I just feel that there is no, you know, four-year degree in real estate out there for people to learn. And I feel that with what I'm trying to do by building an online street academy, doing these podcasts, I can educate people so that they too can see the future through real estate. 
And so, okay, so tell us a little bit about the book, which has a kind of a unique title. Well, the book is called Harvard Can't Teach What You Learn From the Streets. And, you know, basically, I'm a kid from the streets, you know, and uh, it's funny, I give, I was giving lectures at NYU Graduate School, and I started each lecture by saying, what a pleasure it is to be able to teach at a school I couldn't get into. So it's really for all the C students that were, were not dumb, they just maybe had some issues or problems like I did, and then they got motivated, and then they achieved a very large success. And, you know, you have to motivate people. Young people today, in my opinion, a lot of them are lost. They just don't know what to do, or they're in jobs that they're just miserable at, you know, technology, all the other things that are going on now. It's very, very hard on, for young people. And I'm trying to give them some inspiration to just do what I did. I was no, you know, genius in school. I could never have gotten into Harvard, Yale. I think it's, I'm not putting that down. I think it's a great, great accomplishment if you can get into an Ivy League school. But that's not me. I had a different set of school uh, uh, skills that I used. Mm-hmm. So what, so tell us a little bit um, about some of the material. So on the one hand, you obviously there's this like mindset aspect right? Because, you know, you're saying, okay, what you learn from the streets. So it sounds like this is a very like kind of practical way of learning and something that's meant to give people hope if they don't have some of that more formal academic training. So, I mean, what would you say is, is, is kind of the key ingredient in that? Well, the book is basically the, the idea of the book was to teach the fundamentals of multifamily property and use real life situations as examples that people relate to. It was also to keep it entertaining and motivating, which I think I've accomplished. I got a very big honor that it, you know, I won a lot of awards for it, which I'm very proud of. It became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And I feel good about that. I, I really feel good about the feedback I'm getting, how I love the book. It really helped me. And then they ask a lot of questions, which I love. But it focuses on the fundamentals of real estate. We don't we don't teach like um, how to sell the car. I want to teach you how the car works. So we focus on, let's say, a 100-unit multifamily property, and we say, believe me, it's in reach. You just got to master the fundamentals. And and that's what we teach. So we start off basically with uh, the basic four, I call it four, important formulas you must know, which is about how to increase property value, the cap rate, what net operating income means and how to achieve that. Not every income and expense becomes part of that computation. But the real main focus is here is a 100-unit building that I own, and let's go back in time and look at Let's analyze, let's do an x-ray, and analyze every bill that went in to this deal and every single item that it costs to run this building. And in multifamily, you have to know the different categories of income and expenses. So we go through in a, in a little brief way to introduce here are the different types of income for a multifamily garden apartment complex. Here are the different categories of expenses that are pretty much the same. And if you master one, you master all. And it doesn't matter if it's a 50-unit building or a 500-unit building. The fundamentals are the same. And that's what we try to teach. And we, we keep testing. I have little things summering at the end. I call it crazy glue review, you know, where I have a concept and I say, I want you to glue this to your head and remember it. And it's been very successful in that people remember these things and ask additional questions. And that's what I love. 
Mm-hmm. But why do you think, I mean, I think, you know, both of us have written books that have a little bit of a different spin. Why do you think that, you know, the real estate coaching industry really neglects some of these things? Like what made some of the material out there maybe difficult for you to process? Well, th- that's a very good question. The point is, there's a lot of crap out there. You know, get rich with you sleeping. By the time you wake up, you'll be a millionaire, you know. It, it, they, they just they teach you to sell the car, not how to uh, buy the car. Actually, on my social media, which I just you know basically started, I, I got a, one of these gurus. I call them motivational preacher teachers. They sent out something. I want everybody to go to a Mercedes dealer and sit in the Mercedes for 15 minutes so you will understand and feel what it feels like to be rich. So I sent him something back. I said, I got a better idea. Tell all your students to go to bankruptcy court, sit on a bench and find out what it feels like to go bankruptcy because if they listen to your silly advice, they will. People aren't teaching, they're selling. And I don't want to mention names, but you have these guys on, you know, trying to sell and some of these courses are $20,000 and, you know, and it's just buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Nobody's focusing on teaching. I'm focusing on teaching. You know, yes. Do I want you to buy my book? Yeah. Do I want you to buy the courses? Yeah. But I want you to get something out of it. And what I try to do in every interview I do and everything I write, I want the listener or the reader to be better off after they read or listen. That's my goal for this podcast. Hopefully I can throw some brain droppings in that people will say, oh, I really learned something. So what might that be? I mean, you talk about, like, so let's say the fundamentals or some of the like basic ingredients to, you know, succeeding or, or feeling like success in real estate investing is within reach. Do you have one or two kind of tips or um, ideas that, that you want to share real quick? Yeah. The, the basic thing I tell everyone is master the fundamentals and keep building on them. Be a student of the game, a gym rat. Learn your stuff. Be prepared. Like, you know, if you watch a, a football game after the game in the locker room, They'll say, you know, they were prepared for everything we did. Nothing worked. That's where you need to be. You're dealing with a lot of money. You don't can't afford to make mistakes. And all of these motivational preacher teachers never, I haven't seen one that teaches you the downside of investment and how to navigate yourself out of it. We've had terrible things during the pandemic that we had to really navigate out of. And we try to build those fundamentals. But the first thing you got to do is understand that buying a $10 million building is not out of reach. I promise you. And it's not today the hardest thing. The asset is finding the good deal, not the money. There is so much money out there. It would be like if I said, you know, I have the algorithm I created for a new Google. You think I'd have uh, problems getting money? No. Find the deal, learn how to package the deal, and you will get a lot of money, I promise. You don't have to use your own money. You need knowledge. And you think even uh, despite, let's say, what's going on now, right? Like, I think there's a lot of doom and gloom. You know, I I do read some of the U.S. news, us in Canada. Uh, I think our real estate market is probably even more overvalued than, than the U.S. And we have the same, you know trumpeting of recession and the interest rates going up and this and that. And you think that despite those economic conditions, it's still a good time for people to start out? No, I think it's time to start out, yes, to learn. But, you know, one of the things I tell in the book is that you have to buy real estate when nobody wants it. Now everybody wants it and you have to be patient. We've bought in uh, the early 90s over 40 buildings in Manhattan for half the price they were. 
In the early 2000s, I went to Texas and did the same thing. I've owned over 70 buildings in my career from new construction, renovation, etc. But you have to buy right. I'm also predicting office building Armageddon. Mm -hmm. I just don't see office buildings surviving. And I think you'll be able to pick up these buildings at 50% of what they were soon. And, um, you know, occupancy is never going to go above 65%, if that. And you don't need to live in a city to do business with a city anymore. And the economic ramifications for office building owners are devastating. And, you know, the difference between the early 90s and the early 2000s, when I bought a lot of these foreclosed properties, was nobody had money then. Now there is billions of dollars on the sidelines they call dry powder ready to pounce in and buy. However, there are going to be tremendous opportunities to buy properties at bargain basement prices soon, but you must educate and learn the fundamentals of how to do it. Just because you have money doesn't mean anything. You gotta know how to make the building better. How to improve property value is everything. And if you find a building and you can't improve the property, what are you doing? Just, you know, there's, Four ways I've identified in the book of how to make money in real estate, how to increase property value. One is the way Mabel from Marjan does. You know, they buy a building, they pray it goes up. Okay. And anybody that did that in the last 10 years did well. Not anymore. The second way is to increase the rentable income of the property to increase increase the rents by charging back for trash, charging back for exterminating, things like that that you can do, or improving an apartment, upgrading it with plank flooring instead of carpeting, upgraded appliances, etc. Third way is to increase the amount of rentable square footage of the property. So if you can take a building and add a floor or build out to the back, that's another way. And the fourth and easiest way is to decrease operating expenses. And I want this principle is one of the most important principles. Assuming a cap rate of 5%, consistent, we'll just use that as an example. For every dollar you increase revenue or decrease in operating expense has the exact same effect on net operating income which determines, using a cap rate, the value of your building. So if I increase rents by a dollar or I I decrease rents by a dollar, I've increased the value of the property $20. And that is the magic. I call it the E equals MC square of real estate, increasing property value. So whenever I look at a building, I look at, for instance, if I see the water and sewer is... uh, $100,000 $100,000 a year, and I know that it's traditionally been $80,000 a year, right away, water leaks. So if you can solve those underground water leaks that are not detected, you got to know what you're doing to do it, and you could even decrease the operating expenses, $10,000, that translates to $200,000 worth of additional value. That's one expense. And we have done this so much. I've made a fortune doing this. And that's what we teach people how to do. We teach people how to increase the amount of rentable square footage and rent themselves. And I give examples in the book of how to do that different ways. I made uh, money $2,000 a month by putting an t- antenna on the roofs, rent- releasing out a roof to an antenna, doing, um, we build up, sometimes we build up 
uh, a rec room on the top floor or duplex units or duplex into a basement. There are these many ways, but we focus on increasing property value. And the key to wealth, the key to wealth is by owning a large asset base that increases annually and over time. And that's why I'm not a big proponent of flipping houses, because mm -hmm. you, you might make a few bucks, but you did all this work to find the property, which is hard, and then you flip it, it's ordinary income pretty much, and you gotta go find another one. But where's the large asset base that increases annually and over time? Doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think I wanna just pick at two things there because I think I think that's some very good good advice. I think we also see the accountant's mindset in there a little bit. So I think, you know, for our, our listeners are mostly like kind of small time investors that are, are, you know, looking to level up, looking for different ways to level up. And I think, um, you know, Montreal is a pretty heavily rent controlled city. We're like not so similar from New York in a lot of ways. And so I think everybody has kind of, you know, is clued in on to what to do to like optimize rents, right? Like raising rents. What are the ways that you can do that? But if we talk about, you know, you seem to look for properties that uh, have their expenses off in a way. So how would one go about identifying that if I'm going and like, you know, looking across the board at a bunch of different options, how do I identify options where my expense uh, positions are, are, are off? Well, it's a lot harder than it used to be because the brokers have, you know, a lot of times factored these things into their pro formas. Mm -hmm. So you ha sort of have to know how to do that. Again, the best time to buy property is when nobody wants it. And during times like we have right now, you're going to find that landlords, because of all the look, my, my electric and gas has doubled, my insurance went up 65%. The cost of labor has gone up tremendous if you can find people to work. These are all what I call temporary changes. Okay. Eventually, the markets will settle down. Hopefully, the war in Ukraine will be over and prices will go down. Those are temporary changes. The price you pay for a property is a permanent cost. You can't change that. So we try to buy in opportunities where, you know, they mentioned value add, but now the brokers obviously put a lot of the things in, but there's a lot of things that I teach in the book the brokers don't know yet. And we look at the expenses and, you know, when you have a lot of buildings, obviously you can save a lot more money if you buy than if you buy just one, because there's economies to scale. But if someone's going to buy, um, I'll, give, I'll give you a great tip, okay, for your, for your listeners. Let's say you own an eight or 10 unit building. Most times, the, and there's common areas, right? There's, there's a lobby, there are stairwells, there is, uh, you know, the exterior. There might be a lot of, might be a one acre, a half acre parking, et cetera. Well, there's, that's called the loss factor. So a building is, let's say 15,000 square feet, there's a 2,000 square foot loss factor, and you're getting a dollar a foot. So that 2,000 loss factor is worth $2,000, basically. If you can charge back just $20 or 25 feet extra to the tenant, because they do use the loss factor and make them understand that, you could automatically increase the value of your building. Most tenants and most uh, management companies measure the apartment. So if the apartment measures 600 square feet, they're gonna charge them based on the 600 square feet. But what we do is we say, you know, the tenant, especially when, when there's a lot of amenities, you know, or there's stairwells, the large loss factor, tenants use that loss factor and should pay a portion of it. And what we do is we charge a very small portion, maybe $25 a month back to the tenant. And that has been tremendously successful. 
And if they complain, we explain to them it's for the loss, a portion of the loss factor, and it's accepted. That's one way where I have a building, a 30-unit building, and I can increase the value $100,000, $200,000 just by doing that. And that's with small units. So that's a, one of the tips that people, almost everyone, doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. Well, so let, let, just to, to sort of change tax, I mean, I'm sure, you know, in the pandemic, we all have horror stories. And I think before, like we jumped on the recording, you mentioned a little bit, uh, you know, some of your, maybe your New York properties that are not doing as well. Want to tell us a story from a, a pandemic horror story? Like what kind of stuff well, did you hear? I can tell you a bigger horror story than that. Uh, four years ago, we were building a student housing complex in um, St. Marcos, directly across from uh, Texas State University. And my partner, we had done another deal with the partner, and he uh, he did a great job, and nice guy, and we no problems. So we built the, we were going to build this building, going to be about uh, three hundred beds. So we should be clipping coupons, and something happened we didn't know, and when we were 75% complete, now remember in student housing, you cannot miss the market, but you gotta wait another year because people, mm-hmm. students bring mm-hmm. it's not yeah. like regular tenancy. Well, all of a sudden we get a call, he, uh, he committed suicide. And the it was a horror and all of the problems now came to us. And we had to do everything we could and we found out that you know he just went $5 million over budget, he did whatever, and it was a it was a horror story. Everybody lost their money, but the lesson to be learned is because I mastered all the fundamentals and had experience, we knew exactly how to navigate out of it. You know, I'm talking navigating out of it is not money, but basically being able to pay the contractors. Uh, we lost I lost two million dollars of my own money trying to save the deal. That was the biggest horror story uh, of my life. But because I had the experience, it was able to be mitigated tremendously. That's a horror story. Manhattan is circling the drain, and there's a political climate there that is against the landlord. Mm-hmm. You know, the crime, I mean, they don't arrest people in, in New York anymore. There's a woman recently had what she was arrested 100 times, honestly, 100 times for uh, shoplifting. And each time they let her out without bail again. And just a week ago, for the 101st time, she did it again, but she assaulted a cop. So they did uh, arrest her, but again, she's out. So the crime in New York City is horrible. The um, administration is horrible, all against landlords. They just got uh, rid of one of the biggest incentives to build affordable housing, the 420, what's known as 421A tax abatement. So New York is a city circling the drain, whereas Texas and Florida have big signs, invisible signs, welcome, all one percenters, welcome, all developers, and no taxes. And that's why Texas and Florida are booming, booming. Prices in Florida have actually doubled on properties. And Texas, too. You know, uh, we used to refer to Florida as money, water, build, you know, the land of no appreciation. No more people are leaving Manhattan in droves and they're going to these other cities and states where there's more affordable housing, there's um, jobs and um, no taxes. 
<laughs> so how, I mean, like our audience is mostly Canadian. Would you have any tips for, let's say, a foreign investor is like, let's say I want to involve myself in Florida or I want to involve myself in Texas. How might I go about doing that? My best advice to people right now, I'm in a holding mode, okay? I don't think right now you're going to get the best, you know, deals until the interest rates right now just went up and they're going to go up again. So I wait until the opportunity on my tax return where it says profession, I put in opportunist. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Go where the opportunity is. You know, I don't necessarily look at residential, commercial, this. I, I look at the opportunity. Now, if you go to residential, there's a little bit of a misnomer. Everybody thinks, and it is, rents are going up tremendously, right? But operating expenses have gone up tremendously. Yeah. So yeah. if I raise rents 12%, 15%, my insurance went up 65%, like I said, all my costs went up. Last month, July, was the first month we didn't take distributions from one of our big properties. And how do, what do I, and I have a low mortgage. What I did was I refinanced a lot of my mortgages to 10-year interest only. And I got rates from 2.6% to three and a quarter. That really saves you. Because now it would be five and a half, six percent, and you probably wouldn't get all interest only. Right now, I'm in a holding pattern. I think it's a great time for people, especially young people, to master the fundamentals, learn. One of the things I used to do is get register with brokers and get their OMs, their offering memorandums, and read them. And I used to sit on a beach chair. And read uh, offering memorandums. So help me. And then people say, what are you doing? You know, I'm reading offering memorandums. And I learn from them. And I learn the markets. And I learn other things. So it's easy to do. It's free. You just call different brokers like Marcus and Millichamp and just say, I'm interested in buying residential properties or office properties. And they'll put you on the list and they'll send you all these offering memorandums. And they have tremendous amounts of information in them. And that's a good way to learn about different markets. And um, even if you learn different markets, you have to understand and learn how the building works. How does it work? What are the mechanical systems? When I buy a building, for instance, multifamily, I don't have to put in a light bulb. And that's the truth. Okay. But what do you do? Well, everybody has to do, uh, you hire people to do this. It's part of the acquisition course of any building, of doing your due diligence. You hire, you have to hire someone, an environmental company to do what's known as a phase one, right? Or bank won't give you a loan. You have to get someone to do a physical condition report that they go in and they tell you what the condition of the different mechanical systems are. So you don't have to know that. You just have to know how to read the report. And again, these are the fundamentals that, that I talk about in the book and I try in my courses, teaching, teaching, teaching. Here's step one. Here's what you got to do. How does the building work? What are the income and expenses, operating expenses of the building? Most people go, I don't know. Well, you got taxes, you have uh, insurance, you have, there was so, as you know, so many more. And there's so many other ways to, to get different revenue in, revenue streams. And for me, it's all about, I don't look at a building and say, what's the cap rate now? I say, where am I going to be in five years? Yeah. Um, okay, well, I think we're kind of running, almost running out of time, but I have one last question for you. It's, you know, backing things up a little bit. You kind of alluded to a office space Armageddon. I kind of saw that, you know, those clouds gathering 
through the pandemic when, you know, I think office culture maybe already was a little bit on the way down, but that was like the last, you know, mass extinction event. What might you recommend that people could do if they are able to get a good deal on office space? I mean, would they, would you recommend they just run it at 65% occupancy or, or look for something else to do with the space? Okay. So we have to wait till things collapse. So what do I mean by that? The biggest problem in office buildings right now is obviously lower rents and vacancies. Mm-hmm. So if a tenant was getting $100 a foot and he it was a law firm and they had 30,000 square feet, their lease is up and saying, listen, I don't need 30,000 square feet. My workers haven't been here for a year and they're not going. I only need 15,000 square feet. And I don't want to pay $100 a month. I only want to pay $80 a month because the guy across the street is offering me a better deal. Empty units don't make you money. So now the owner, who has also been beaten up for the last couple of years with the pandemic, people skipping out, not paying rent, right? He's got to lower the rent, which decreases the valuation of his building. Remember I said 20 times for every dollar. And he's got to spend money to re-retrofit the tenant that wants the 15000 and then the new tenant and that, that wants the $15,000, he has got to put hundreds of thousands of dollars to renovate that. The new tenant, you got to pay a broker fee, which is substantial for the new space. There are tremendous costs in relighting a space. So you have to wait and say, let things collapse. If I can buy that building for 50%, then maybe at $80 a foot, it works, but not at you know $100 a foot. And I just don't see, I see the office building owners as being on life support or on a sinking ship waiting for the Coast Guard, but the boat's going to sink before the Coast Guard comes. And I feel bad about it. And I just don't see any way out of it. But I do see, you banks don't want to hold on to these properties, believe me. I've been through this before, gotten, you know, different things. And you can buy these properties, it might take a year or two from now, because banks play a game of extend and pretend because they don't want the properties either, so they'll do everything they can to keep the loan alive. Educate yourself. And the other problem is when you have an office building that's only you know 40% occupied, even if it's leased, you're not going to be able to get good financing for it. You know, how do you go to a bank and say, I want a loan on this office building, but it's only 40% occupied and 50% leased? Very hard, right? And how do you repurpose that building? You know, everyone thinks you just make residential. Well, how do you make, you can't renovate while there's tenants in the building. And if it's a tenant's on the 16th floor, another one's on the 14th floor or the 10th floor, how do you do that? How do you, it's very, very hard. So what I'm predicting is there, there are going to be smaller spaces. Now we're talking about B and C. Class A are going to be like resorts and they'll do, they'll do just fine. It's going to be like the Jetsons. Remember the Jetsons? Okay, you're going to go there, they're going to be like resorts and hotels. That's what they're building now. Like It's almost like a city to itself to attract people to get back to work. But the reality is people are not going to go back to work. There'll be hybrid situations. It's not going to be like it was before. Amazon can't lease up everything. So you have to be a little creative. You have to talk with architects, see what other people are doing. But buy these buildings at half the price, which will come. Educate yourself what other people are doing with these spaces, and there will be opportunities. I'm going to be looking for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's you know uh, good advice at the moment. Is you know right now prices have not adjusted to what's coming, right? Like we have conditions that are 
not uh, supportive of the prices that people want today. And it's going to take a little while for sellers to, you know, get themselves more and more in hot water to the point where they're going to have to start liquidating at the prices that the financial fundamentals. Well, I thought good money at the bid. I would say one more thing. In 1993, when I bought my first building, I bought a building, a 22 units in St. Mark's Place in the city, in the village, for $550,000. That building sold three, four years before that for almost $3 million. Wow. And the interest rate was 9.75%. Well, remember what I said, the interest rate's a temporary cost, the price you pay is a permanent. That building's now worth $15 million. And I got a 3% mortgage on it, 3% interest. So understand that it's buying right is the key to everything. It, it covers up a lot of mistakes for people. <laughs> but you have a lot of young people and the young people, they had, you know, I know 36 year old kids with $50 million funds they put together, but you have to master the fundamentals, learn your trade, love it. You have to really love it and live it and you'll be very successful. It's a great business, as you know, to be in. Yeah. All right. Well, Sam, thank you for uh, taking this time. Where can people connect with you? Okay. Well, we have um, samlieben.com. And we have a lot of stuff on there that we're doing to try to help people. And we both have our relationship with AAOA, which is, is really cool. They have a lot of great stuff on their website. And stay tuned. You know, we're going to be doing this online course and, and it's really going to help a lot of people. I've written a lot of articles, you know, about the sinking ship for office buildings, the Armageddon and everything. Again, it's to teach, to teach, to teach. All right. Well, thank you, Sam. And uh, guys, be sure to check out Sam's book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm uh, just the title makes me want to pick it up. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.